Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 400, and today we are talking about books being released on February 7th, 2023, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, this is the 400th episode, which is a real Christmas because I feel 400 today, so. (laughs) (laughs) That is unbelievable. You could listen to one episode a day for a year and not get through them all. Amazing. I've technically only been on 398. Oh. I missed two of the 400, which I think is a pretty wow. good record. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty good. It's amazing that I am here with you today because I had to take one of my cats to the emergency vet last night, and I have not been to bed, but I have had two Red Bulls and a chai latte, so good luck understanding what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm probably talking so fast that only dogs can understand me right now, but it's making perfect sense to me. <laughs> I mean, I watch all my YouTube videos on double speed, so that's perfect for me, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of people, like, you know, I still haven't listened to an audiobook. Someday, I I, I swear I'm going to, but I don't know what to do with myself when I'm listening because Mm -hmm. I do the dishes in three minutes. I do the laundry in five minutes, you know, like, so, and all I do is read. So, like, I don't knit or anything, you know, someday I will listen to one. But I know so many people who are like, I listen to my audiobooks on you know, two times the speed or one and a half times mm-hmm. the speed. I'm just like, wow. I listened to an audiobook recently on three times speed for the first Whoa. time. And it was like transcendent. It was <laughs> it was like this is <laughs> this is the absolute max of how fast my brain can move and that yeah. it was amazing. It it was a book I wasn't enjoying very much, but I needed to finish it. <laughs> oh, you're like, let's get this over with. Just cranked it to the max. <laughs> you know, I was listening to because nostalgia drives everything that I do. I was listening to the Chipmunks Christmas album uh, you know, last month during the holidays. And mm-hmm. I was just marveling at, like, people must have had their little minds blown when this first came out, right? Because nobody had heard this kind of thing happening before. Yeah. Like, now we're just speeding up things and making funny voices and stuff. But back then, that you know, they were so popular because people were like, what is happening? Yeah. What is going on? I love stuff like that. Like, there's a very famous horror novel considered one of the, or if not the first American horror novel, the title of which is now escaping me but you know i'm gonna spoil it for everyone um the reveal is that it's ventriloquism and nobody back then knew what ventriloquism was so Mm. they thought like weird voices were coming out of the closets and it was really scary to everyone you know (laughs) but spoiler it was just somebody throwing their voice which is impressive but like back then you were like wow and kind of (laughs) creepy yeah yeah, it's like, you know, Stacey Schiff talks about in the witch's book, like if it's you're the it's the 1600s, you're in the middle of the pitch black woods in mm-hmm. New England, 
And, you know, fisher cats are screaming their horrible screams. You don't know what that is. You're like, hmm, the devil. The devil's yeah. outside. Like, uh, Same like stuff like yeah. that, you know. Now we're like, no. Fisher cats, which are still super scary. I know I've talked about them on here before. But, like, if you Google fisher cats screaming, oh, my goodness. We had one screaming outside our house one time. And, like, oh. us and our neighbors and everybody, like, all the lights just came on because we thought someone was being killed in the road. Oh, God. Yeah. And they're just like, meh, see what I can do. <laughs> They're like ferrets on super steroids. They're huge. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty wild. What a what a wild conversation we've had so far. Yeah. We've moved from the fact that I'm four centuries old to the chipmunks, to screaming, to audiobooks. Just all kind of, we cover it all today. Yeah. Very efficient. <laughs> yeah. So we are gonna talk about books. But before we do that, I want to remind you that we at Book Riot are currently hiring a full-stack web developer. Uh, your resume for that position needs to be in by February 28th. And if you are interested, you can go check out the listing at riotnewmedia.com careers. We'll also put a link to that in the show notes. And Valentine's Day is coming up, as is Galentine's Day. And if you're looking for the perfect gift for your bookish boo, you can give tailored book recommendations. Your boo will tell our professional book nerds about what they love and what they don't, what their reading goals are, and what they need more of in their bookish life. Then they can just sit back while our bibliologists go to work selecting books just for them. TBR has plans for every budget, so you can surprise your bookish boo with tailored book recommendations this Valentine's Day by visiting mytbr.co slash gift, which we will also have a link to in the show notes. And now, before I tell you about my first pick, we are going to hear from a sponsor. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. Okay, I think I've mentioned this book mm, maybe 400 times. It's possible. I'm just going to use 400 as many times as possible today. I'm going to use that number. It is Big Swiss by Jen Began, And I am so excited that this book is out in the world. It is Began's third novel. It's set in Hudson, New York, and it follows... An unhappy, restless, middle-aged woman named Greta. Greta works as a transcriber for the town's sex therapist. He records his sessions and then sends them to her and she types them out. Now, she's living in a centuries-old crumbling farmhouse that has no heat and the kitchen has a giant bee infestation and her roommates are her dog and an old hippie. And she's just kind of... She's kind of miserable. She's had a lot of trauma in her life. She, you know, suffers from depression. She doesn't really know what she's going to do. She also happens to know a lot of the secrets about many of the people in the town. Like, she goes to get coffee and she recognizes their voices as, like, this person that she was transcribing and this person, you know. And, and that's kind of interesting to her. But it's not until she begins transcribing the sessions of Big Swiss that she crosses boundaries in a big way. Now, Big Swiss is not the woman's actual name. 
Um, it's just the nickname that Greta has given to this particular patient. She is the most fascinating person Greta has ever quote unquote met. She's in her 20s. Like I said, she's married. She has a husband. She's a gynecologist. And she's been through some severe trauma, but yet doesn't really believe in holding on to trauma or discussing trauma. Um, she's very closed off. And she also, I was trying to figure out how to, how to say this. She has never experienced what Meg Ryan pretended to experience in the diner in When Harry Met Sally, which is why she's here talking to the sex therapist. And like I said, Greta is obsessed with this woman. Like, cannot wait to transcribe her, her notes and, and hear what she has to say. And then one day, she actually meets Big Swiss in the dog park. It was a chance encounter. She recognizes her voice immediately. And when Big Swiss introduces herself, Greta makes a choice. She lies about her identity. She says she's someone else. The two become friends. And then eventually, they become lovers. They begin an affair. Now, this book, I read it so fast. There's so much buzz about this book. And I recently just read an interview with the author where it act because like it sold before the book was even finished, I think. The rights were were going around and apparently it got leaked somehow. So everybody was talking about it. And Jody Comer ended up getting the rights to it. She's gonna star in it as Big Swiss. And it's so good. Like the characters are so complicated. You know, the Greta is making bad choices. Like people make bad choices. A- and she she handles it so amazingly well. Um, You know, you're not like, she's a bad person and I don't want to read about her. I mean, you feel for her. She's had a lot of trauma in her life. And suddenly she's having like this exciting experience. She might be in love for like the first time, but that experience is coming, you know, by the wrong means. Like she did not like truthfully earn this experience, you know, and how far will Greta go before she confesses the truth and what will happen if she does? This book is so funny. It's one of the funniest books I've ever read. It's also heartbreaking. It's a look at trauma and love and violence and sex. Like I said, it's really funny. It's also it's very filthy and slightly disturbing and just so original. I, I mean, I was when I read it, I was like, this is so messed up and amazing. And I'm worried what people are going to think when I say this is like one of my new favorite books. But everyone I know who has read it has been like, that was amazing. So I'm feeling pretty good about it now. Um, and like I said, it's going to be a, a television show uh, sometime, hopefully, in the future. I do want to tell you that there are a lot of content warnings for this book, including graphic violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, stalking and gaslighting, infidelity, sexual assault, animal harm, mental illness, suicide and suicidal ideation, death of a loved one, drug use and abuse. And I want to give a... Small spoiler for people, because I know people are going to be wondering, there is a dog in the book. There is a very horrible thing that happens at the end, but the dog is okay. So just so you know, the dog will be okay. And yeah, just, it's amazing. It's called Big Swiss, and it's by Jen Began. We had a, a moment where when Liberty and I were talking about, I'm talking to the audience about uh, which books we were going to pick for today's episode. I was like, I'm surprised you didn't pick Big Swiss. I might read it myself. And then you were like, uh, 
I what? I didn't. <laughs> oh no, it was Archer of Night, which I'm going to talk about next. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, yeah. no. Big Swiss has been on my list since I read it. I somehow forgot to write down the other one, but I would have fought you for that one too. Yeah. <laughs> those were like <laughs> before we had written them down, I had both of those down as like liberty question mark. <laughs> definitely right about both of them. Yeah, it's funny. There's like there are very few books that I read that if one of the other Host says, I want to talk about this. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but Big Swiss, yes. Our share of yes. night, mine. <laughs> well, I'm going to read them both on my own time. It <laughs> 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 sound amazing. All right. My first pick is called The Black Guy Dies First, Black Horror Cinema from Fodder to Oscar by Robin R. Means Coleman and Mark H. Harris. So funny thing about me is that I am not a big horror person, but I am a big horror people person. (laughs) Some of my favorite people are big horror fans. So even though I don't have a lot of background knowledge on the genre, I was really intrigued by this one. And I ended up really enjoying it, even if I didn't understand the references, they gave enough context, and it was just fascinating. Both the authors were involved in the movie Horror Noir, if you've seen that. And in this book, each chapter looks at the history of Black horror movies from a different angle, like the history of Black horror stereotypes or the rise of socially conscious horror. I especially liked all the asides, like there's a section on tips for surviving horror movies as a Black character, or a ranking of Black actors who have died the most on screen, or a list of the worst hip-hop theme songs from horror movies, which there is a lot of competition for. And despite this being basically a long discussion about racism, it's approached with a lot of humor and a love for the genre. And for me, I think they did a great job in giving just enough information about the movies that they're discussing to get you familiar if you haven't seen it, but not so much that I think it would be repetitive if you had seen it. It was also really interesting to see the same movies come up several times being discussed in different contexts, because each of the chapters is sort of a different lens. And some of the movies that were the biggest in the history of Black horror that were really influential, there is a lot to discuss about different aspects of them. So you kind of keep returning to them, but in different ways. Obviously, since Get Out... Black horror and socially conscious horror in general has gotten a lot more media attention, but this book looks at the long history of Black actors, writers, and directors who have paved the way in the genre. It manages to blend together a discussion of the history of Black representation in media in general, the history of horror movies in general, and then the history of Black horror movies specifically. One section that really stuck out to me was tracing how stereotypes evolve. So looking at how a racist caricature from vaudeville and minstrel shows was adapted into the earliest horror movies and how it became its own stereotype there and how you can actually see how that character still kind of shows up in movies now, but in a slightly different way. So it shows how, while the specifics change, you can really see the thread connecting them and how one feeds into the next. 
And of course, racism in Hollywood isn't past tense. So they also talk about the barriers to black horror now. So in the book, they talk about how as of 2019, 91% of studio heads, 93% of senior executives, and 86% of unit heads were white. And as they explain, these people in positions of power don't need to have racist intent or hateful views to perpetuate racist depictions on screen. That ignorance translates to less Black representation and worse Black representation, both on the screen and behind the scenes, and just more lack of nuance in the characters that do exist. And then conversely, having more Black directors and other roles behind the camera comes with more representation and better representation across the board. So they're more likely to hire diverse writers and actors too. There are so many different interesting things to dive into here. So many like, hey, did you know factoids that you could pull out. I also liked that in the epilogue, they talked about Tanana Reeve do's quote, Black history is Black horror, and extend it to the Black present as well. So what is the role of horror in the context of deadly racism and oppression being a real life reality? So I just had so much, I don't want to say fun reading it because it is about racism, but there's so much humor in it. It's so well written. It's so interesting. I think this would make a perfect gift for horror fans. The design makes it really accessible and fun to flip through, but there's also so much meaty discussion if you read it cover to cover, as you should. And even if you're not a horror fan, I really recommend picking this up if you're interested. I learned a lot. I love reading about media studies books and how representation and storytelling have real world effects. And I think it will convince just about anyone to watch some new movies based on their descriptions. Even though, like I said, I don't usually watch a ton of horror movies. I ended up with this long list of ones that I feel like I need to watch now. They just have such great elevator pitches for so many movies, including a lot of tiny little independent ones. So I think even the biggest horror buffs will discover something new. There was a section on queer black horror movies that added so many to my list. So highly recommend it. And that one is The Black Guy Dies First by Robin R. Means Coleman and Mark H. Harris. I'm very excited to read that one. Yeah, I think you would really like it. I have it around here somewhere. Name of my memoir. (laughs) So my, so we were just talking about how I wanted to talk about this next book, but I don't really want to tell you anything about it. So I would have been like really mad if anybody else had talked about it, I guess, because I I wanted to not tell you about it. It's (laughs) Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez with illustrations by Pablo Gerardo Camacho and translated by Megan McDowell. I read an e-galley, a PDF that didn't have any illustrations, so I don't actually know what they look like or where they're going to be in the book, but I'm excited. I'm sure as heck going to buy this when it comes out. Um, You might recognize the name Mariana Enriquez. She's an Argentinian author. She actually has like a bunch of books, but she's only had three that have been translated into English. The first two were story collections, The Dangers of Smoking in Bed and Things We Lost in the Fire, which are both amazing, which is why Myself and many, many people went, ah, when we found out that they were translating 
a 600-page horror novel. I mean, a 600-page horror novel that I can't even describe to you. And, and like I, I've mentioned, after I read a book, I go and look at the Goodreads reviews, and so many people are like, I don't know how to talk about this book. And I'm like, yes, okay, it's not just me. It's just like this immersive experience that you you have to have yourself. But I'll try and, and give you the gist of it. It's a story of demons and ghosts and the most evil, evil imaginable set against the backdrop of Argentina's political horrors. Um, when it starts, it's 1981. There is a father named Juan and his son, Gaspar. They are taking a trip. We know that there is something severely wrong with Juan. He has to take like a bunch of of things, medical supplies in a kit on this trip. He also, we know that he has a giant scar down like the whole middle of his chest. And we soon find out that he can see and feel things beyond the veil. Like he can, he can feel people, uh, see ghosts. There's a thing where he might be able to like transfer thoughts to people, but we're not really sure. Uh, we learn that his wife, Gaspar's mother, has been killed in an accident uh, a couple of months prior to that. And his son is distraught. And something about this possibly starts his own powers, the sons. They're on their way to visit his wife's family, who are in charge of something called the Order. The Order is a worldwide cult. And they are capital E evil. Let's just capitalize all the letters. They're very, very bad. And like I said, Gaspar has started showing signs of the special powers in his family, like shortly before like they get there. Um, he can like sense that there are people around. His father's trying to tell him how to, to make the voices and the ghosts go away. And this book is goes back and forth in time over like four decades of political horrors while the family grows stronger. The, the order grows stronger. They're looking to exploit Juan and Gaspar, um, and it's a book of about what Juan will do to keep his son safe, which ends up causing sort of a rift but in their relationship. And then it's about Gaspar as he's getting older and like trying to decide what he wants in his life and, and, and make sense of what's going on around him. It's fantastic and horrifying. It's... Such an amazing reading experience if you're into that kind of stuff. Like, it's not, you know, it's not a happy, like, friendly cartoon animal book. And it has all the trigger warnings. Like, all of them. Like, seriously disturbing stuff, including torture, sexual assault, and cannibalism. It uses ableist, racist, and homophobic language that was prevalent in it, the time periods that it covers. But what a journey... I got a lot of, like, Passage vibes, like The Passage by Justin Cronin. And weirdly, which will probably mean nothing to most people, um, it reminded me some of The Last Illusion by Clive Barker, which is a great short story from The Books of Blood, which was made into a not great movie with Scott Bakula. Um, but, you know, just, like, cults and, like, weird stuff going on. You just have to, like, give yourself over to it, which sounds like joining a cult. So... I guess that's the feeling we wanted to get from this book. I'm pretty sure I have made no sense of it whatsoever, and now I am going to stop. It is Our Share of Night by Mariana Enriquez, with illustrations by Pablo Gerardo Camacho, and translated by Megan McDowell. 
I will die on the hill that I think more adult books need illustrations. I am very for <laughs> more illustrations yeah. in books in general. I don't know why kids are the only ones who get to have drawings <laughs> of things. <laughs> so now that I've told you it's 600 pages and I can't even describe it, like, do you still want to read it? I do, but I'm also kind of glad I didn't read it for this one because I don't <laughs> think I was emotionally prepared for a 600-page devastating yeah. horror novel. Like, did you read 2666 or 2666? No. I don't even know how it's pronounced still, and I read it all those years ago by Bolaño. Like, it's kind of it kind of mm-hmm. feels like that. Like, I'm like, I don't know how to describe this book or explain to you why this book of these unspeakable horrors is so pleasing to my brain. (laughs) I've also got to start, I never look at the page count when I'm picking up an ebook. Like when I'm picking up a physical book, I'm like, oh, this one's huge. But I never think to with ebooks. And sometimes I I get myself in deeper than I (laughs) expected. (laughs) Oh, I wonder how many people do. Like, I always look at how long a book is before I start it. Mm. Yeah, uh, Jamie, Jamie, who writes our mystery newsletter, we and I, uh, we, we and I, she and I were sharing <laughs> a meme the other day because it was like this little baby Yoda meme. And it said, he can't be the murderer in this book. There's too many pages left. And I was like, that's <laughs> what we say all the time. <laughs> it's, we that's like true. spoil it for ourselves by looking at the page count. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Okay, my last book is a. Uh, very different genre. So this is Out of Character by Jenna Miller. So my first book I talked about, I learned a lot about a subject I didn't know about. And then I read this one, which was so painfully relatable. It is about Cass, who is a fat, nerdy, queer teenager who is obsessed with the book series and role plays as one of the characters in an online community. And I was a fat, nerdy, queer teen who was obsessed with the book series and role played in an online community. She is a chronic overthinker. I'm a chronic overthinker. So obviously, I cared a lot about Cass. And one thing that's interesting about reading YA as an adult that I found, especially after I became a teacher, even though I only did that briefly, it really changed how I related to YA because now I am so protective of the main characters. Like I no longer relate to them as much as I just feel like I need to protect them. So Cass has escaped into the world of role-playing, partly to avoid her parents fighting. And then at the very beginning of the book, her mom sits her down to have a conversation. She met someone online, and she is moving to be with him and divorcing Cass's dad. And then she immediately gets up and drives off to another state. And I think I was more angry at her than Cass was, because, wow, just literally right after that conversation just takes off. And this is the person who has been the main parental figure in Cass's life, who overdoes holidays and ropes them into a million traditions, who is there for her in all of her lowest moments, who's a central pillar of Cass's life. And then she just drives off after a five-minute conversation. And not to spoil anything, but she does not get in touch with Cass very much after that. So needless to say, she's 
devastated and ends up spending even more time in her role play world. She's staying up late. She's ignoring homework. She's checking her phone constantly at every opportunity. She has struggled with gaming addiction before that became a really big problem that her parents needed to intervene with. So she is hiding this part of her life from her dad and from her real life friends because she can't stand the idea of this being taken away from her. Some of her best friends are online and they are a big source of support for her. One of them is Rowan, who plays the other half of her ship, and they have always been there for each other, and maybe she has a crush on her, maybe she doesn't. But then something unexpected happens, which is that Taylor, the girl that Cass has had a crush on for the longest time, asks her out, and suddenly she has a girlfriend. It is not perfect timing, because Cass is struggling, But she's not going to turn down this opportunity. She's liked her for so long. And even if Cass feels a little awkward with her, especially because she's hiding both her online life and her family struggles from her. And I, I just really enjoyed this one. There's every other chapter, there are short role play scenes, which I think won't work for everyone, but were very nostalgic for me. And they nicely complemented what was happening in Cass's life. As I mentioned, I felt so protective of Cass. Her and her dad are doing their best to try to make a new normal at home. So Cass hides how much she's struggling. She doesn't really want to let her dad know that she's not actually doing very well. Her grades start to plummet. She forgets to apply to universities, and it feels like no one is noticing that she is in free fall. I also really enjoyed reading about a main character who is so confident both in being fat and being a lesbian, especially as a teenager. There still aren't many examples of that in media. And I think especially as a teenager, I really would have appreciated that. I also really liked that none of the characters felt one note, not even the peripheral ones like Cass's best friend's girlfriend. It would be easy to write Taylor's character in a way that excuses Cass not totally clicking with her, but she seems great and I felt for her too. The conflict comes from people having different perspectives, which are each valid. It's not necessarily that people are doing things wrong as much as they see things differently, except for her mom, who I (laughs) I still think is very wrong. So Cass's role play friends are hurt and angry that she's hiding them from the people in her life, for instance, which is understandable. But I also understand why Cass isn't ready to have anyone question this part of her life. There are a lot of elements to this story, including the family as well as romance, but it was the friendships that stood out to me and how seriously they're taken. They're often messy and imperfect, but they're also so important to cast. She's got Tate, who's been her best friend in real life for so long. She's got Rowan, who is her role play best friend, and then all of her other friends in that role play community. And they really check in with each other a lot and support each other in what they're going through. And it shows how these friendships can be unexpected and beautiful, even when they're really messy. She starts to become friends with people who she didn't think she could be. I highly recommend this for nerdy queer teens and those who were once nerdy queer teens, though I'm sure lots of other readers would enjoy this too. But this one definitely felt close to my heart. 
And that is Out of Character by Jenna Miller. You do such a great job talking about your picks. Like, <laughs> all of the co-hosts do such a great job. Oh, I feel like, you do too. <laughs> uh, I feel like Thor on Ghosts. I'm like, Liberty like this book. <laughs> Liberty laugh from her belly. You read this book. No, like I, and then I listen to everyone else talk, and I'm like, wow, amazing. <laughs> I think you have to take fewer notes than most of us do. I rely pretty heavily on notes because I don't remember anything on my uh, own. <laughs> I, have, I have been actually, um, because I've been having a lot of memory problems since I had COVID, mm. I have been like keeping very, very detailed descriptions of the books that I read. I think I mentioned this on the oh, last yes. show or one of the shows. Except I don't write down who the criminal is in like a mystery. Because like if I forget, <laughs> then I can read it again and be like, oh, hey. <laughs> That's true. Because I've read a few mysteries where, and I'm probably repeating myself, but I've read a few mysteries where I was like, I read it and then I'm reading it again and I'm like, oh, this is what I think happens. And I, and I was wrong for a second time. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that's what I thought last <laughs> yeah. time, and I was wrong. So I do that, too, for But don't sure. write down the spoilers. So I'm going to tell you now about some books that we are excited about. Well, we're both going to tell you that. I'm not going to do it, just myself. But before we do that, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, so books that are out today that aren't necessarily things that we have read, but we are excited about. First of all, today, there are so many books out today. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many. And even more the first Tuesday of March. And April is that like sweet spot in the spring where the first Tuesday is like a bananas number of books. So I'm going to kick it off with Skull Water by Heinz Insu Fenkel. And this is a coming of age novel set in South Korea on a U.S. military base. It's after the Vietnam War. There is a young man named Insu whose mother is Korean and his father is German. And he's living there with his friends who he calls his half and half, other half and half friends. And they're just getting into all kinds of trouble and selling Western goods on the black market and watching a bunch of American TV shows and movies and just generally causing some mayhem. And they hear a rumor that there is... Uh, a thing where if you collect water in a human skull, it can heal whoever drinks from that skull. And so he has an uncle, Insu, who has been exiled from his family, sent away because he's very ill. And so he thinks if he can make this happen, get a human skull, bring the water to his uncle, who's like living in the mountains now, um, it'll cure his uncle. But, you know, this is... This is this is a story. It's not, you know, please nobody at home try this. And I I started the I started it, but I I'm not very far into it, but it's it's really excellent. I believe it's a debut um, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. So it is called Skull Water by Heinz Insu Fenkel. Yeah, that's definitely a, a dangerous precedent to set. Like a disclaimer, like yes. please don't drink waters from skulls. <laughs> don't this, don't do it. Don't do the skull water thing. Uh, so my first book I want to talk about that I didn't get to read is Venko by Cherie Dimeline, and I wanted so badly to read this one, but alas, they did not reply to my review copy request, so I have to wait 
like everybody else. It's <laughs> so unfair. So this is from the author of The Marrow Thieves and Empire of Wild, among others. She is a hugely popular and well-known author in Canadian literary circles, though I don't know how well she's known in the States. She won the Governor General's Literary Award, which again is a big deal in Canada. And when I was an English teacher, The Marrow Thieves was one of the most popular books to teach in high school, especially as part of a dystopian theme. So she's very well known here. She is a Métis author who writes primarily Métis characters. And this book follows Lucky St. James, who is a young Métis woman living with her grandmother when she discovers a strange spoon with an etching of a witch and the word Salem. She found the spoon buried in a wall, and she can feel a powerful energy coming off of it. And she soon learns that it is one of seven spoons that connect witches across North America. They have been lying in wait for centuries as the spoons have been scattered. And once these spoons are reunited, it's supposed to usher in a new powerful age for them. Venco, like Coven, Venco, is a company that's a front for this network of witches, and they have been looking for Lucky and the Spoon, but they are not the only ones searching for it. Jay Christos is a witch hunter who is tracking them in order to prevent the witches and spoons uniting and gaining power. So now Lucky and her grandmother are on a road trip to New Orleans to try to find the last spoon while dodging a witch hunter. And what happens next will determine whether this network of witches finally gains power or whether their chances are lost forever. This sounds like such a fun time. I'm told there are queer and trans characters, including in the coven. It's a feminist novel that focuses on relationships between women. One of the reviews compares it to The City We Became by N.K. Jemisin for its social commentary. And it's supposed to have action, adventure, drama, and humor. I can't wait to get my hands on it. I just saw an article this morning that was talking about how 2023 is the year of Witcherature, <laughs> witchlet, whatever you want to call it. And this should definitely be in that category. And I am all for it. And that is Venko by Cherie Demeline. You know, spoons don't sound very exciting in the realm of <laughs> mystical things, but the description of the book sounds exciting. I know. I, I'm kind of into it, though. The spoons are so unexpected. I love the idea yeah. of having yeah. to reunite spoons at great cost. <laughs> well, I mean, who's going to be looking for magical spoons? You know, like yeah. if they're trying to find things that are going to like bring about power and stuff. You know, they'd That's be true. looking for like shiny gem objects and, you know, <laughs> talking birds and stuff. So spoons, mm-hmm. way to fake them out. <laughs> so my other pick today that I'm going to tell you about really quickly, because we are just talking a lot, running out of time. And by we, I mean me is A Spell of Good Things by Ayobami Adebayo. Uh, Adebayo is the author of Stay With Me, which came out a few years ago. It was an excellent, excellent novel. This is a novel set in modern Nigeria and involves two families. Uh, a young man who is the son of a poor family and a young woman who is the daughter of a wealthy family. They meet. They fall in love. It's not going to work out for them, for their families. They're not They're not digging it. Sounds kind of like Romeo and Juliet-ish. It doesn't, I don't see any mentions of that in the description, but possibly. And I'm just excited to read it because Autobio is, is an excellent writer. 
Um, and it sounds fantastic. So it is A Spell of Good Things by Ayobami Adebayo. All right, I'll do the quick version of my next one, too, which is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found by Christy Tate. So this is the newest memoir from the author of Group, How One Therapist in a Circle of Strangers Saved My Life. And it's about how she finally, after decades of bad relationships, got a great relationship with her boyfriend. She feels like she's really done the work. She's made it. And then Meredith, a friend who is 20 years older than her that she met in a 12-step program, gently nudges her that now might be the time to examine why her friendships never seem to work out. And together, they do kind of a postmortem of her previous friendships and everything that went wrong with them, why she can't seem to keep friends in her life, the jealousy, the shame, and the baggage that she got, that got in the way. And she looks at her childhood friendships, her relationship with her sister, how these patterns started back then and continue today. And then Meredith becomes ill, and Christy is forced to figure out how to be a good friend when it matters the most in her final days. So this is really about her looking at her biggest flaws, really laying it all out on the page. And I really appreciate books that take friendships as seriously as romantic relationships. I think that we need more of that in our culture. I do want to preface that the book starts with Christy discussing Meredith's Meredith's death. So you do know that at the beginning that she does pass away. And so the book is sort of an homage to their friendship and what Meredith helped her discover about how to be a friend. So if you want to read a book about the importance and the difficulty of friendship, you should pick this one up. And that is BFF, A Memoir of Friendship Lost and Found by Christy Tate. Okay, so now it is time for the paperback release lightning rounds. I will tell you, not only is today a huge new release day in hardcover, I made a list of the books I want to talk about coming out in paperback today, and it was 37. So I had to pare it down because we don't have that much time. Uh, So I'm going to try and tell you about... bunch of different great books that will now be in paperback today, starting with one of my favorites of last year, The Employees, a workplace novel of the 22nd century by Olga Ravin and translated by Martin Aitken. This was long listed for the Translated Literature National Book Award. It's a little tiny book and it's so great. It's science fiction set in the future where these sentient beings are being quizzed about an object that has been brought aboard their ship. I've read it, I don't even know how many times now, still don't quite understand what's going on. Love it so much. Like a Sister by Kelly Garrett. about It's a mystery about a woman who is investigating the death of her reality star half-sister, who died the day after her birthday party. Her death is being written off by the police as an accidental overdose, but her half-sister thinks that it's something more nefarious. Booth by Karen Joy Fowler, another of my favorite books of last year. This was nominated for the Booker Prize. It is about the family of Lincoln assassin John Wilkes Booth. Takes a look at his family, his parents. There were 10 children. His father was a very famous actor. John Wilkes Booth and his brother became actors. And there was a lot of scandal surrounding the family. And in between this, we get glimpses of Lincoln's young life 
before his inevitable meeting with John Wilkes Booth. Mickey Seven by Edward Ashton. This is a really fun science fiction novel that I enjoyed about a group of people from the Earth who are traveling to find a new habitable planet because Earth is no longer uh, any good. And Mickey is the expendable aboard the ship, which means that he gets sent into all the dangerous situations. He tests all the things that they don't know what they are. And if he dies, which he does, they can just upload his consciousness into a new version of himself. So in the beginning of the book, he is the seventh version of himself on this trip. And something happens and they think that he is dead. So they upload his consciousness into Mickey 8. But it turns out that Mickey 7 is not dead. So now there's two of them running around the ship. And chaos ensues. They're actually making this into a movie uh, with Robert Pattinson, and it comes out next year. But they're calling it Mickey 17. So apparently, I'm guessing they want Mickey to have a lot more adventures before this happens. Wild and Wicked Things by Francesca May. This is a queer gothic fantasy set in the 1920s about a young woman who goes to settle her late father's estate on Crow Island, which doesn't sound ominous at all. Sankofa by Chibundu Anuzo. This is about a mixed-race British woman whose mother refused to tell her anything about her father the whole time that she was growing up. And when her mother dies, she finds out that her father is the president of a small nation in West Africa and goes to visit and finds out that he's not a great man. Olga Dies Dreaming by Suchil Gonzalez. This is a huge title last year about a sister and brother living in New York City. She's a wedding planner. He's a politician. They're both not really crazy about their lives, but they are about to be in upheaval when they discover their mother, who abandoned them for her career and her beliefs all those years ago in Puerto Rico, is coming to visit them. The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. This is set in the near future about a single mother who makes a regrettable error with her child and is turned in by her neighbor and is now forced to attend school and submit to Big Brother surveillance to learn how to be a good parent so she can keep custody of her daughter. The Paradox Hotel by Rob Hart. The Paradox Hotel is a hotel where the ultra-wealthy wait in their hotel rooms to time travel. It's like where everybody stays before they get on their trips to journey back and forth in time. And the head of security at this hotel finds a corpse in one of the rooms, but she is the only one who can see it. Love and Saffron, a novel of friendship, food, and love by Kim Fay. This is a BR favorite from last year about a young writer who befriends a writer at the end of her career. Secret Identity by Alex Segura, a young woman in the 1970s trying to break into the male-dominated world of comics, pairs up with a colleague to write a comic, but as soon as they hand over the story. He is murdered, and she finds out that her name never appeared on the comic, and it's published, and it's very popular, and while she's trying to figure out how to gain control of that, she also knows there's a murderer on the loose, and she also has her own secrets to hide. In the Shadow of the Mountain, a memoir of courage by Sylvia Vasquez-Lovato. This is a a memoir. It's a true story. Vasquez-Lovato was a, a survivor of trauma, and she joined up with other young female trauma survivors and they climbed Mount Everest. The Fields by Aaron Young. It's a mystery about a newly hired sergeant in the sheriff's office investigating the murder of a young woman in an Iowa cornfield. What the Fireflies Knew by Kai Harris. It's a coming-of-age novel 
about an 11 year old and her sister who are trying to figure out their lives now that they have to live with their estranged grandfather after their father dies and their mother disappears. Cherished Farah by Bethany C. Morrow, which is a social horror novel about a young black girl who kind of tricks her way into her best friend's uh, wealthy, white, adoptive family, uh, thinking she's going to have it made, and finds out that things are not as they seem in that household. And When We Lost Our Heads by Heather O'Neill, about two best friends in 19th century Montreal whose games and adventures escalate and become more and more dangerous. Whew! That's a lot of paperbacks. Yeah. All very exciting, though. Okay, so, <laughs> paperbacks. Danica, what are you going to read next? I am going to read A Man and His Cat, the manga series by Umi Tsukurai. This is about a widower who adopts an unwanted cat, and it is mostly from the perspective of the cat. And it is, like, <laughs> just this side of too cute, but I am uh... enjoying it. <laughs> what about you? I'm going to read I Am Homeless If This Is Not My Home by Laurie Moore, which comes out June 20th. Laurie Moore is one of those authors that is, like, beloved by all the authors that you love. Like, she's not super well-known, you know, New York Times bestseller, but, like, most authors just worship her. And she's amazing. She has collections of stories, and she has a couple of novels, and this is a new novel. It's a ghost story set in the 19th and 21st centuries. And that is it for us today. Whew, we made it. I said a lot of words. You said a lot of words. We mm-hmm. Reminder that we are hiring a full-stack web developer. You need to get your resumes in by February 28th, and you can do that by going to riotnewmedia.com careers. You can also find out all about the position. You probably want to know about it first. And you can surprise your bookish boo with tailored book recommendations this Valentine's Day by visiting mytbr.co slash gift. We want to say a big thank you to our sponsors, a big thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. You can find us online. I hang out on Instagram at friends and comes alive. Danica, are you Twittering, Instagramming? What are you up to? I'm mostly just at my blog, lesbury.com now. <laughs> all right. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever it is you get your podcast and leave a rating or review that helps other book lovers to find us and as much as we would love to tell you about more books today we just don't have the time but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books as well as find a link in our weekly new books newsletter and for more recs or general bookishness check out bookriot.com and don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen or just search bookriot on your podcast player of choice and in the meantime happy, happy reading, reading.